Well, as I mentioned, it is a privilege to be here uh, with you guys to share from the Word. I'm with you this morning on the first uh, first Sunday of the new year. Uh, new year, new you, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, new time for reflection, you know, looking back on all that God has done over the past year the, the, and all the, the ups and downs and the roller coaster of a year that it has been and so many things that have changed. And I'm sure we've all experienced uh, or encountered some sort of, you know, situation that has impacted our lives, you know, maybe for the good, maybe uh, for the bad, but hopefully either way, you know, your faith was deepened because of it, and the Lord works all things out for good to those who love him. Um, but as I was kind of reflecting on this year and on, on what to share and seeking the Lord, um, one of the, as I'm looking back over the past year, one of the biggest, I guess, drastic changes that I've seen in our culture and in, in the world today has come as a result of the, the crisis of truth that permeates through our culture, that there is a direct attack and war on truth. So if you would turn with me to John, Gospel of John chapter 8 is where we'll be this morning. Gospel of John chapter 8. And while you're turning there, we're going to be, our text will be beginning in verse 31, but up to this point in chapter 8, Jesus has addressed the women caught in the act of adultery. Um, she, he has made, uh, verse 12, he makes his I am statement, one of the I am statements when he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Um, and then Jesus is then confronted by the Pharisees about bearing witness of himself. And Jesus explains that the father bear witnesses of, witness of him and he and the father are one. And to which the Pharisees then respond and asking, who are you? And Jesus said to them, this verse 25, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I mean, you haven't been paying attention at all. I've been, I've been telling you who I am from the beginning. You still don't get it. And yet, even as Jesus explains, they don't understand. And then in verse 28, Jesus says to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Then it'll all make sense. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And so as we get into our text now in verse 31, this morning I want to look at four things. As we're looking at this discourse, this conversation between Jesus and the Jews, I'm going to look at four things that speaking truth results in. Um, and I think that's an incredibly important thing to focus on as we start this year, as we see what the, the circumstances of the world around us. And I, I titled it Knowing Truth in a Post-Truth World because that seems to be the mindset of the world is that nothing can be truly known, right? That it's just all kind of out there. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So we're going to look at four things. Uh, but we begin here in verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, and we'll remember that phrase because that's going to be important, those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the first thing that speaking truth brings is true freedom. Speaking truth brings freedom. He says right away, he says, if you abide in my word, abide in my word, that is the only way that we can become disciples. That's it. 
That is the only way that we can even classify ourselves as disciples if we are abiding in the word of God, if we are abiding in the words of Jesus and that abide to live in, to dwell in the living word of God. There's no other way that you can classify yourself as a disciple of Jesus unless you're making your home in his word. That's it. Not making your home in the words of men, right? Not making your home in, in the words that Paul, you know, describes those words of men as persuasive words of human wisdom, right? It's not making that your home. It's making the word your home, God's word your home. You can't classify yourself as a disciple unless you're doing that. That is a, a bold statement, I think, to make. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples. And I think the challenge is that because the more and more Christians that I talk to or have conversations with in our culture will try to defend a theological viewpoint using a podcast or a YouTube or a radio or something like that instead of the word of God, right? So you cannot call yourself, and not, maybe those, the people on those podcasts, those videos are not saying anything wrong per se, Maybe it's biblical, maybe it's far out there, <laughs> but you can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus if that's all you're going to get fed by. You're only a disciple of Christ if you are in the word, making your home there. Now, the result of that is knowing the truth, knowing the truth, that word that know in the Greek, that experiential knowledge, it's not just some abstract idea. And I think that's a beautiful thing to just be able to say that the truth can be known. It does not have to be left up open to interpretation. It doesn't have to be left to one's own devices or a perspective of things. The truth can actually be known and it's gracious of the Lord to even give us the truth to know. <laughs> he doesn't have to do that and yet he gives us the truth. It's not a truth that is just for the spiritually elite or it's not a truth that's only accessible by some people who are closer to God than others. It can be known by every single one of us and every single person that walks this earth. I think that's incredibly powerful because truth, in order for it to be known, or if it can be known, truth in and of itself is exclusive. Right? There is no, this is not, the stage is not black and also white. Okay? It can't be both things. The way to heaven is not by grace through faith alone and also you can get there if you murder everyone that doesn't believe in you and the things that you believe in. Okay, it's not the way to heaven by grace through faith alone. And also, if you want to take little bits and pieces of every other religion in the world to kind of combine and make your own religion, and therefore now you can find the way to heaven. Right, it can't be both. Truth is exclusive. There is only one. There's only one way. And you can pick any myriad of controversial topics today <laughs> that you want. And you can easily find an article or a spokesperson or something that you want to support your truth. You can pick any side of any issue and every side claims to be following the data and the science. But the data and the science of this side has nothing to do with the data and science of this side. So how do we know it's actually true? You can find it to support what you think is true or find it to support your truth. But that's all it is. It's just your truth or feeding into our own perspective of it. And then we get stuck in that echo chamber of our own point of view or ideas. Outside, the truth is, outside of the word, in the world, we don't know what's true. <laughs> we don't know what's true. 
And what I've realized looking back is the more access to information and knowledge that we have, the less wise we're actually becoming. The truth, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, the only truth that you can fully rely on, the only truth that is fully worth putting our time and effort into completely surrendered to, to go out and share. And I'm sure you've, you might've heard it in your own life before or even in my own or just read stories of, of attacks on Christians for going out and being ignorant and arrogant because we're claiming this exclusivity as the only way to heaven. Claiming to know the truth, the only way, that's, God, that's only ignorant and arrogant if we're preaching ourselves and not Jesus Christ. If we're going out into the world and we're promoting ourselves or our lives don't align with the word or we say that we or make it somehow come across like we have all the answers, then yeah, absolutely. They have every right to call us ignorant and arrogant. But if we're going out preaching Christ, emptied of ourselves, not just saying, oh, I've got the answers. No, the Lord has the answers. The word has the answers. I'll bring you to that. There's nothing ignorant and arrogant about that. But since the truth can be known, the result of knowing it is true freedom. True freedom. And, and you look around the world today and there's so much bondage <laughs> in the world. But true freedom, true freedom from death, True freedom from eternal separation from the Father. True freedom from sin or whatever uh, bondage that you may be, that sin previously had over you that you were enslaved to. True freedom from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. True freedom. Paul writes in Galatians 5 verse 1, he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You've experienced the freedom that Christ brings. Why would you want to go back into this life of being enslaved to something, to, to sin or to a lifestyle or anything like that when you've experienced true freedom in Christ? Don't go back to this life of being entangled with a yoke of bondage when you are walking. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom of Christ in the midst of the world. The question for us this morning is, firstly, are you experiencing that kind of freedom? Secondly, are you bringing that kind of freedom to the world around you? Because that is the type of freedom that oppression and persecution doesn't affect. It doesn't matter how much of that comes. True freedom in Christ is not affected by that. You could literally be in chains in a dungeon and be the freest person in the world. Exactly who Paul was as he writes his second letter to Timothy when he writes, the word of God is not chained. As he's sitting in chains in a dungeon, he says the word of God is not chained because he understands his freedom was in Christ. Right? So it doesn't matter the amount of persecution or the oppression that comes, we're still free. It can't be taken away from us. So is that the freedom we're bringing or are we only bringing others under further bondage by bringing our truth Okay, guys, the danger of saying or thinking in our hearts, this is my truth or your truth, it's okay, that's fine for you, it's not fine for me, it's just my truth. The danger of that is you run the risk of making yourself an idol by claiming that your own opinion or perspective sits in the place where only God's word belongs. Right, we can't go out there and, and preaching this, you're not freeing anyone, we're just putting them under further bondage. 
because my truth is still just my opinion if it's not according to the word of God. What I've seen and what breaks my heart is that this idea has infiltrated the church in our country in the West. The temptation to just tolerate our brothers and sisters who view things differently instead of actively loving them. The temptation to not confront one another biblically in love, to strengthen each other and to create unity. The temptation to avoid confrontation for fear of offending someone else. All the while we're unwilling to receive confrontation because we're too proud and conceited and therefore we get offended when someone brings something to our attention. This is not how the church is to operate. This is not what Jesus said when he brought truth into our lives. And don't, I'm not, well here I'm not saying, I mean, it's, it's good, be informed about what's going on in the world, you know, and the things that are going on, so that way you can apply the word to it, look at the situations and circumstances through the lens of scripture, seeking the Lord, letting the word of God direct your opinions instead of your opinion directing the word of God. I mean, that is the whole reason why Jesus sent us his spirit. In, in the same gospel of John, chapter 16, just a couple chapters over, chapter 16, verse 13, John, quoting Jesus, he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus gave us his spirit, is to guide us into truth, guide us into his word, and so that way we know in the things that are going on out in the world, we can dictate and guide through the, the murky waters of it all to know what is actually true or not. When you find that and you have an opinion and everyone's you know, created it with different perspectives and things and you've held the word up to it and you know what your perspective is, be fully convinced in your own, not, in your own mind, but don't die on the wrong hill, <laughs> all right? If you're gonna stand immovable for something, make sure it's the truth that is inerrant and infallible, all right? Now, this saying obviously confused the Jews that Jesus was talking to a little bit, and when they respond in verse 33 by saying, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. <laughs> uh, there's two incredible statements that are made here by the Jews. Uh, I think the first one is very interesting that immediately they go into their national heritage or Abraham's descendants. We have this sense of pride where because of who we are, we're not gonna let truth actually penetrate our hearts because of our national heritage. Now that doesn't happen in our country today. <laughs> then they mention, we have never been in bondage to anyone. I mean, just the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Egyptians, the Philistines. And at the time that they're having this conversation, pretty sure there's a Roman garrison looking down into the temple court. <laughs> they're under Roman rule at the moment when they're saying this. It just shows you that a heart that is unwilling to receive the truth will inevitably begin to self-deceive. <laughs> they didn't really want to receive what Jesus said. The proper response to Jesus telling them how to be a disciple, how to know the truth, how to experience his freedom would have been, yes, Jesus, how do we do that? How is it possible this kind of power even exists in our life? What do we need to do to learn more? Yada, yada, yada. And instead they said, no, we don't need this, we're fine. <laughs> how relevant that attitude is in our culture today. How heartbreaking. And they ask, how can you say you will be made free? 
Jesus responds, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus explains, you've got it all wrong. You've missed the point. It has nothing to do with physical freedom at all. Although I do think it's incredibly gracious that he doesn't even point out any of the fallacies in their argument because I would have been like, I mean, do you see this? I mean, do you see this little Caesar bust over here? <laughs> like, there's obviously Roman culture all around you. How can you, not, how can you say foolishly that you've never been in bondage to anyone? Yeah, but Jesus doesn't even address it. And graciously doesn't even point out the fallacy. He just tells them the truth if you miss the point. It has nothing to do with your physical freedom. That phrase, commit sin, there in verse 34, the verb tense is indicating this habitual, continual lifestyle of sin. Right? It's not talking about just the, the momentary lapse or the occasional time where you fall into sin or give in to a temptation. It is, this is the defining moment of your life. You're living in sin. And if you are living this lifestyle of sin, then you are a slave. You are in bondage. And in a spiritual sense, even more dangerous than living in physical slavery is to think that you're free from sin and yet you're still enslaved to it. To have deceived yourself to that point where you think you're fine and yet you're still enslaved to sin. And that is dangerous because we can't escape from ourselves. We cannot set ourselves free. If that was the purpose or that was the case, Jesus would have never had to come, (laughs) right? We cannot set ourselves free. As Jesus said, a slave, in this analogy, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. A servant's position in the household was never secure, right? You you were property in some ways. So you could have just been, you know, kicked out or given away without any notice. It's not like they had to give you a two weeks heads up. They could have just gotten rid of you. It was never secure. A son abides forever, We needed someone else. We needed to become something else, but we also needed someone else. Not just a slave, but a son adopted into the family, but also outside of ourselves being set free by the son. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's the only way to experience true freedom. You can't find it on your own. You have to be set free by the Lord. And how contrasting that is to the blind freedom that the Jews were claiming to have by saying, oh, we've got, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. We're not in bondage. How can you say we're free? We're not physically shackled right now. Jesus says, no, no, you're still a slave. You're in bondage. I think it's very interesting how we can be deceived into thinking we are free and how easily we can think that and the ways that the words can even be used. I read a story of an 82-year-old Christian woman from Hong Kong who told of her life in China, but still used much of the vocabulary that the communists used in describing their revolution. They called it, this revolution, they called the liberation. She was asked, when you were back in China, were you free to gather together with Christians to worship? Oh no, she answered, since the liberation, no one is permitted to gather together for Christian services. But surely you were able to get together in small groups and discuss the Christian faith? No, we weren't. The woman replied, since the liberation, all such meetings are forbidden. Were you even free to read the Bible? Since the liberation, no one is free to read the Bible. It's deceiving to think that we're free when we're really not. David Guzik said it very simply. 
He said, freedom does not consist in the word freedom or in words, but in relationship to Jesus Christ through abiding in his word and being his disciple. That's it. That's true freedom. That's the only way to experience it. That's the only thing that you can give someone else so that way they can experience it too. People don't need more perspectives and opinions. They need truth. So to speaking truth frees. Secondly, speaking truth reveals the heart. Verse 37, Jesus continues, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Essentially, your heritage means nothing because of your heart. (laughs) That means nothing because of where your heart truly is. And he says that you seek, and he says you seek to kill me, which I think is really interesting. It speaks to the fact that he knows their heart because what up until this point would make Jesus think that they sought to kill him? He's responding to them questioning, how can you say you will be made, you will be made free? And as far as I'm given the context of the question, but just asking a question does not reveal intent to murder somebody. <laughs> that would be like me like, hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? And he's like, you trying to kill me, bro? Like, that's kind of how I see this going on right here, okay? It's, there's not anything right off the bat that would be like, well, they're trying to kill Jesus in this situation. Which just shows that he knew what their heart was. And the reason that their hearts responded in this way, in defiance, was that his word had no place in them. And he knew that. That phrase, no place, uh, in the Greek means no space, no free course, no ability to make progress or advance or gain ground. In other words, you have not let my word do its regenerating work in your heart. You have all these other things going on around you, this pride, this pride in your heritage, the defiance in your heart where you're not willing to receive humbly the truth that I'm saying to you, and it's prohibiting you from receiving that. It's prohibiting you from letting my word do the work that it's meant to do, to gain ground, to advance, to make progress in your life. So this morning, is there anything in your heart that's preventing you from receiving from the Lord? Anything that needs to be repented of? Anything that is keeping his truth from gaining ground in your life, from advancing? If there is, then please don't leave this morning without dealing with it, bringing it to him, repenting, praying with someone about it. Verse 38, as Jesus says, I speak what I've seen with my father. You do what you have seen with your father. He's reminding them of what he spoke about previously in chapter eight before our text, um, that his actions were consistent with his father's, just like their actions were consistent with their father's, even though their father wasn't actually who their father thought that was. And he's about to reveal it in just a little bit. He says in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. If you truly understood what you were saying, then your actions would show it. I think it's really interesting and cool, the words that Jesus uses here. Back in verse 37, we say, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. And now in verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children. Which I think is really interesting because that just calls to remembrance the verse from uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 6, where Paul writes, it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Israel chosen by God. They are not all chosen by God. Who are chosen by God? And Jesus is saying, you're not all, you might be Abraham's descendants, but you're not Abraham's children. Just because 
you are genealogically maybe descendants of him does not mean that you're actually his child. Abraham embraced the father. (laughs) They sought to kill the son. And your actions show that you're not actually his children. By speaking the truth, Jesus exposed the inconsistency in their life. And that's what the power of truth does. It has this inerrant power, supernatural power to expose our hearts. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's exposing the inconsistencies in their heart and what's actually there, revealing it, bringing it to the surface. And does the same thing with our hearts. The important thing is what we do when we respond or how we respond. If we're responding in repentance, if we're responding in stubbornness or hard-heartedness, defiance, or if we're receiving humbly, the truth does the same thing to our hearts. The word does the same thing. It reveals it. What's actually there? How do we respond? Thirdly, speaking truth inevitably invites attack. Verse 40, Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, not even claiming that it's his own words, going to the next step where they've already said, oh, you know, hey, Abraham's our father. Okay, well, if you obeyed Abraham, okay, God is the one that's telling me this. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus says, Abraham never sought to kill me. <laughs> you guys are all kind of on a whole nother level here. <laughs> this is something he never did. The fact that you're claiming to be his children is, is foolish. All I've done is tell you the truth. That's it. All I've done is tell you the truth. And he mentions again that they just do the deeds of their father. I know you're not actual children of Abraham because your actions don't show it at all. Which shows really to where your true heritage lies, who your true father actually is. And again, he's kind of ramping up because he's about to tell him who that is. But you see a little even further glimpse into their hearts when you see them respond by saying, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father God. And this shows right away that they either knew who Jesus was or at least had heard rumors of his uh, parentage, right? Oh, well, well, your mom got pregnant before her and your dad were married, so uh, we were not born of fornication like you were, meh. You are, we, are, we know what you are, but what am I? That kind of like argument of just trying to attack somebody. How many times, though, have you seen or experienced this in your own life? When you present the truth to someone and it reveals the heart of what's really there, and all they do is respond with personal attacks <laughs> because they don't want to deal with it or they don't want to receive it. All they want to do is attack and get defensive. That's exactly what the Jews are doing here. What's even more heartbreaking, though, is how often has those situations been with someone who's claimed to be a brother or sister? Because if you remember, this whole conversation is with those who believed him. That's how it started out, with those who believed him. And it ends with those exact same people. Not, we're not going to go that far today, but at the end of the chapter, verse 59, it ends with those exact same people picking up stones to throw at him. Which by so doing only proved Jesus was right in what he said by saying, you seek to kill me. <laughs> and just proved that Jesus was telling the truth and he knew their hearts. Believing him and submitting 
to his words, obeying his commands, and receiving that truth humbly are two completely different things. You can believe Jesus without being his disciple. Okay? It's two completely different things because they were not willing to receive the truth. And that is why, if, I, if there's nothing else that you take from this morning, please hear this. That is why we have to realize that the battle for truth in our world is a spiritual one. <laughs> it's not against one another. It's not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. And we have to stop fighting those spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. We're never going to gain any ground. We're never going to see victory. We're never going to see the kingdom of God advance in our own hearts and in our own lives if we're trying to do it on our own strength and just attacking people with our own fleshly weapons instead of relying on the spirit and realizing that, oh, no, yeah, no, this is definitely a spiritual battle. That's how we have to start seeing things. And if we haven't seen that over the past year, then it's time for us to realize it now. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, our scripture reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I'll begin just in verse three when Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love that word strongholds there because it means anything on which something or someone relies Right? The arguments and the reasoning by which one endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it. That is what the power of the word of God does. It tears down those things. It tears down the fortifications and the defense of anybody who tries to defend uh, or surmount the, any of the surmounting number of thoughts and perceptions that contradict the true nature and knowledge of who God is as revealed in his word. That's what the truth does. And that's why people get so defensive. <laughs> it makes them uncomfortable. It reveals what's truly in their hearts. Fleshly weapons can't do that. We don't have the power to do that in our own strength, in our own words. The only thing that I've ever seen a carnal response or a weapon do is make someone just dig their heels in firmer <laughs> into what they believe. And then you're working twice as hard to show them that Jesus actually loved them because you didn't in the first place. Only, only by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit can we ever truly see victory. It's time to stop fighting spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. I mean, do, do we not believe that the word is powerful enough to bring down anything that opposes the word of God? Amen. And yet, even when Jesus is personally attacked, his heart is incredibly convicting because it's still toward them. You don't ever see him responding the same way that he's being treated. He's not reviling back. And that's because speaking the truth, the fourth thing, speaking the truth always seeks to restore to the Father. Whether it be someone who's walked away or someone who's never had a relationship, speaking the truth always seeks to restore to the Father. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, now he's going to lay it out. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Kind of a rhetorical question there. I'll just tell you why. You are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not God. He doesn't retaliate. All he does is simply emphasize the truth. That's all he does. And here's the truth. If God truly were your father, then you would love me. Someone cannot say that they love God and at the same time reject Jesus and his words. You can't. But because of Jesus' unity with the Father, it was his purpose to do the will of the one who sent him, and he explains it, and yet the words still fall on deaf ears. They're not able to understand because they did not listen to my words. That was why they were the inability to understand and receive the things that Jesus was saying was because they didn't listen. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. It's like everyone that has kids in this room has had this situation before where I'm staring my daughter in the face, eye contact, focus. She's obviously paying attention. I'm explaining some sort of instruction that I want her to do. She's receiving it very clearly because we have connection here. I then explain and ask, do you understand? And she goes, I don't know. Like, that, that's kind of what's happening here. I know you're hearing me. You're not listening actually to what I'm saying. And I want to get really frustrated other than the fact that that just proves she's my daughter because there's more, numerous times where I'm just sitting doing something and I hear my wife talking. And then it comes to the point where she's like, what do you think? Whatever you want, dear. Like, I, I forgot. I don't know. I wasn't listening. I was not listening at all. Here's, I'm just going to admit, I wasn't listening at all. But can I get back to the word now? No, I'm just kidding. There's a difference between hearing and listening. And all the noise that is out there in the world, if you combine that with our own personal opinions, the way God has created us, and just to the likes, the dislikes, the perspectives, all those things can just block out the truth that Jesus is trying to say to us. And those are the, it's the exact same things that block out the truth that when you're sharing is trying, <laughs> trying to block out the truth from uh, someone else receiving it. That's why it's a spiritual battle. That's why you know it's happened to us. It's happening to the world around us. He says, why do you not understand? It's that same word from verse 31, then experiential knowledge. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not listening. You're not listening to the things I'm saying. Jesus then very clearly lays out to them who their father really is based on their actions by saying, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, you want to do. In his epistle, John writes very clearly, uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He writes, and this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest, they're revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You notice there's no gray area. You are either a child of God or a child of the devil. 
And it is foolish for those in this world and even in some aspects of the church to try to blend the two and make sure that and make people feel like it's okay. It's not. You're either one or the other. And Jesus is saying right now, you are of your father, the devil. Why? Because all the desires that you are looking after match the same things that he desires, deceit and kill. Hard truth. We get a little insight into Satan's character, though, when he tells us right away he was a murderer from the beginning. Since he brought death into the world through sin, since he tempted Eve in the garden, and since then he's been doing everything he can to prevent people from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised to give, he's a murderer. He's trying to keep you in bondage, trying to keep you dead to your sin, and not experience life, truth, freedom. Not only that, but there is no truth in him. It's no, no wonder that there's a, a war on truth right now in our world. There's not even an ounce of truth in the one who's attacking truth. <laughs> All right, he's against everything. And at his very core, he is a liar. He speaks lies from his own resources. It's not like he has to go Google something to lie to you about. Of his very essence, he is a liar, the father of it. He's the deceiver who has deceived himself just like the Jews had begun to do and thinking, we're okay, we don't need to receive this. No wonder there's such an attack on truth. And yet, because I tell the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. They didn't believe because it wasn't the truth they wanted to hear. That's because the truth hurts sometimes. And I don't mean that in a negative sense because I think sometimes, the, and even in my own life, I've been guilty of kind of throwing this umbrella statement of the truth hurts and then just going around and like blasting everybody with truth regardless of their feelings <laughs> and, just, and justifying it being like, truth hurts, suck it up. <laughs> There's no love <laughs> in that whatsoever. That is not how Jesus is speaking truth here. That is not how we are to speak truth to the world around us. In Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse 11, Paul says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? What's the whole point of all that? that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be speaking the truth in love. And sometimes the truth hurts even if it's spoken with the right heart because our hearts don't want to receive it. But even if it hurts, the truth still has to be spoken. And it has to just be spoken in love. The pain that should be felt because of how the truth does hurt, but that pain should be felt not by how the truth is shared, but how the person res responds to it. Does that make sense? It should be shared in love because we're looking out for one another. We're looking out for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, looking out so that way we're not tossed to and fro, carried about by wind and doctrine and all these other crazy things and philosophies and ideas that are out there. That's why we share the truth with one another, because we love each other, looking out for one another. 
They should be receiving it in love as well, realizing that they have, our brothers and sisters have our best interests in heart and they love us. Because if you look back right before where we started in verse 26, Jesus says, I have many things to say and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. He says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. And if this was my version of it, then I would list out every single one. (laughs) But he doesn't. He could very easily and justifiably as the only one that could have laid out all the issues before them. And yet he doesn't. He chooses his words wisely and he only speaks the things that were true that would bring life. Not that the things that he could judge them for would not be true, they would be. But he chooses to use the words that were true that would bring life not the words that were true that would just put people, put them under further bondage, put them in judgment. He spoke the words that were true that would set them free because he wanted to see them restored. He wanted to see them become disciples. And he says in verse 46, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Go ahead. You can, if you can find something to convict me of, take your best shot. You've got nothing to accuse me of. And if you did try to accuse me, it wouldn't be truthful. You can't truthfully accuse me of anything. And yet, even when I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. You don't receive it. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So you see, as, as he's having this conversation, you see his heart is... The whole purpose in presenting the truth is just because he wants to see them restored. He's giving them the means. He's showing them the way. He started out the whole conversation with the one thing you had to do, abide in my word. And you're my disciples. That's the prerequisite. That's how you experience freedom. You have one thing. Just do this. Abide in my word. Not in, not in your own opinions, not in your own perspective, not in your heritage, not in the things you think. Abide in my word and you can experience these things. Gave them the solution right up front, and they still thought they were better off on their own. If we're not willing to start there, if abiding in his word, if we're not willing to start there, then we can't expect to experience the freedom that is promised as a result of starting there. (laughs) It's foolish to think you can experience it otherwise. And yet there's people all around us that are searching for truth in every avenue they can find it, trying to experience freedom and really only putting themselves in further bondage. So as we continue into this new year, who knows what it'll be like this time last year. We didn't expect last year to be the way it did. But our eyes need to be open that there is a war going on. And this is not a flesh and blood war. This is the enemy trying to further his plan. And there is still work to be done, new work. The Lord wants to do something new in your life. I'm trusting and hoping you know that he did something new, even over all the craziness that happened over this past year. He did something new in your life. He wants to do that again and continue to show himself faithful and good. But the truth is that there will always be pain and suffering that needs to be met with the grace, love, and truth of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change regardless of the year we're in. They didn't change because of 2020. It's not going to change in 2021. People need the grace, love, and truth of Jesus Christ. There's always suffering and pain. And we know the truth. 
Now we have to just go out <laughs> and speak it boldly, proclaiming it in love, not attacking people, letting the truth, letting the word do its work in their hearts, letting the word reveal the truth that is in their hearts, and then being led by the spirit to have those conversations. Go and speak it. It's the truth that sets people free. It's the truth that has the power to reveal the heart. It's the truth that will inevitably invite attack because the enemy is going to want to come at you. But it's the truth that seeks to soul and the only truth that can truly and purely and completely restore a soul and someone to the Father and let them become a disciple. Because this, this truth, this truth is the only thing that truly heals and saves and meets every need. And it's hard work, but it's the right fight. And it's a worthy fight, amen? It's worthy to go out there to get attacked. It's worthy to stand firm in the freedom of Christ, realizing that that's where, we, that's where our identity lies in him, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. It's worthy to go out there. It's worthy to, to present truth and love, and maybe if that even means losing a friend or a family member, Jesus is very clear. It's going to cost something to follow him. But it's worth it. It's worth it. He's worth it. The people around us are worth it because they need to know the truth. Amen? Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word, which is true. Thank you for sending your son who is the way, the truth, and the life, the only means to the Father, to having a relationship with you, to enjoying all the blessings of fellowship and relationship with you that you've given, Lord, the eternal life, the grace, the hope in this life. I pray that we would go out and be bold in sharing and proclaiming your truth, proclaiming your hope and your love to the world around us. Whatever may come this year, Lord, we... Um, don't know what this year holds, but we know who holds the year. And so we trust in your sovereignty and we trust in your, your perfect work and will in our lives. And I just pray for everyone here in this, in this room, if your spirit is convicting in Lord, that uh, to get, get back into the word, get back into the truth. Let that be the thing that we fall back on and rely on in every situation of our life. Lord, let us just keep our eyes focused on you and not be distracted by the things going on in the world around us. Give us wisdom how to speak truth into all these difficult circumstances and situations, Father, and just um, give us humility to receive when truth is spoken to us, that we just grow deeper in our relationship with you and that we would be yielded and yet led by your Holy Spirit that you have sent to lead us into all truth. Thank you for loving us so much that you do that. Thank you for um, this service and this day that you have blessed us with. When we ask all these things, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.